to all the dads here today. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon and that there's no water seeping into your house and that there's no trees that have blasted their way through the roof of your home. Uh, and I'm be grateful that the sun is out and we've weathered another storm. And that's something. Anybody survive anything? You got any good, good tales to tell? Jerry, you survived, all right? All right. Okay. I guess those that didn't survive aren't here. That's probably why they're not here. All right, announcements from the children's ministry. Of course, you know, you're familiar with Tuesday Tales. This is 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. And uh, the story hour that's involved in that during the week on Tuesdays. But now we have an additional event for our little ones. It's the Pajama Party Friday, 6 to 7 p.m. on Fridays. For our, if, if you like Tuesday Tales, you're going to love Pajama Party Fridays. You're going to love it. All right, so I was asked to mention that. And if Andrea asked if I mentioned that, be sure to tell the truth. Though we're not speaking on that today. Though we are speaking on temptation, which we're going to get into in just a moment. Father, thank you again. What a special time it is when we can look back and appreciate all the contributions that uh, fathers have made in our lives. We're thankful that you set the model as our Heavenly Father. But also thank you that you have blessed and anointed and guided many, many men to carry that same love and unconditional love to children. And I just thank you for the men of our church and uh, their commitment to you, their faithfulness, and the way you have used them in amazing ways uh, to bring us to where we are here today. So, Lord, we just uh, we thank you, and we pray you'll bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are moving along through our series of Victorious Living, How to Conquer Your Trials. And today we come to the trial of temptation. Mark Antony was known as the silver-throated orator of ancient Rome. He was credited with being a brilliant man. Amazing leader, courageous soldier, but one thing this guy lacked, and it's a really important thing, he lacked strength of character. On the outside, he was impressive, in fact, magnificent, as some said, but on the inside, he was weak and vulnerable, and this so enraged his personal tutor that on one occasion, he just shouted at him, he said, oh, Marcus, Marcus, you colossal child able to conquer the world, but unable to resist a temptation. Now, sadly, that indictment not only fits Mark Anthony, but many, probably many here today. So as we continue this uh, summer series, I want us to give some attention to this issue of temptation. Now, you've got to keep in mind, there are all kinds of temptations uh, besides sensual ones. And uh, yet when we focus all of our attention on guarding against just one thing, like sexual temptation, you can leave the door wide open to all kinds of other temptations that wait to sneak right in behind. Like the temptation to gossip. Does that apply to anybody? Heard of a preacher one time that started to preach on gossip, and a woman stood up in the back and said, you stopped preaching and you've gone to meddling now. 
So maybe that won't apply to you here as far as that goes. Um, or there's temptations like envy. Is there something or someone that you find yourself envying? Or what about, what about money, the love of money? Or what about the temptation to judge somebody uh, unfairly or just the temptation to be selfish? You see, temptations are constantly waiting in the wings here to test the strength of your inner character and fortitude. And it's all for the purpose. The temptation's only purpose is to lead our will captive away from God. Temptations are never designed to draw us to God. So let's begin with some important principles here at the start. The difference between a trial and a temptation. The biblical book of James was written to Jewish Christians scattered throughout the ancient world. And these believers were, in some cases, really isolated from the love and the support of a church community. You know, something like, like, like we have here. They didn't have access to that as much. And so James begins his letter by addressing an issue that would be helpful to them because his goal was to to remind them of things that maybe no one had talked to them about in their young, new Christian life. So he begins, verse one, chapter 2 and 3 of verse 1. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, don't miss this. A trial could be defined as an ordeal or it's a, a hardship or it's something that, that really puts your faith to the test. And they are allowed by God. You see, many people think that the very presence of trials, though, indicates the presence of sin, and that's not true. There's nothing immoral or sinful about it going through a hard time or a hard situation or a difficulty. In fact, we see this all over Scripture. Biblical characters had a lot of trials. Job, for example, faced some terrible losses in practically every single area of his life. Elijah, the great prophet, deeply depressed, dealt with depression all through his life. His life had been threatened by a wicked king, and he struggled. The apostle John, who was banished to the Isle of Patmos, faced the test of loneliness and in each case, the trial was brought on by a particular set of circumstances, not by sin. In fact, as you read down to verse 12, James really uh, agrees with this. And he says, blessed is the man who perse perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now see, there's a shift here now coming in verse 13. He's moved from trials talking about temptation. See, the dictionary definition uh, to tempt is to entice you or to entice you to do wrong or have pleasure for gain or whatever it is, whatever the end result. But whatever that is, the end result of, of, of trials is that we would grow through them. But that's not the same thing with temptation. The end result of temptation is death. If you and I don't grasp a biblical worldview of this issue of all of Satan's efforts to drag us down and take us, and by the way, you do know he hates us. He hates us. He hates our bodies because that's where the Holy Spirit lives. 
He will try to tempt you to, to use your body in all forms of ways that are really not appropriate for a Christian. So this is important for us to grasp. Trials result in growth, but temptation's got to be managed or otherwise it leads to death. So I want to give you, first of all, four insights so we can understand temptation. And all this is in verses 13 through 15 of James. He gives some really key, important key ideas here. Number one, temptation is inevitable. Uh, you're not going to be able to get through this life without having to deal with it. Uh, when tempted, verse 13 says, no one should say, now stop there. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, now, if you are tempted, does he? No, no, no. He says, when you are tempted, nobody should say, you see, we didn't know it at the time, but you and I, from the moment you and I entered this world, we were drafted into a lifelong battle with temptation. It's not something you get to choose. The monk living behind the monastery wall struggles with it, just like the person who works in a busy downtown office. And as Christian soldiers in God's army, we are not blamed for having to ward off temptations. None of us can just wave a magic wand and remove these enticements. But we are responsible to our, for our responses to them. So anyway, temptation is inevitable. Whenever anyone's tempted, you know, just understand it. Everybody else is going through them too. They may be different from yours, but they are. So principle number two, temptation is never directed by God. Temptation is never something God sits in heaven and designs just to make your life miserable. A classic example of what James is referring to is recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, where the Lord has just confronted Adam and Eve about disobeying him. And when questioned about now, this is, this is Father's Day, but what I'm going to tell you about, this is not our finest moment, guys, what I'm about to read for you. So don't be discouraged. It's Father's Day is a special day. But Bible truth trumps Father's Day. All right, here we go. That's not in the Bible. I just said that. Lost my place. All right, here we go. So, first thing he does, Adam immediately responds to God's question with the words, two words, the woman. Isn't that interesting? God's talking to Adam. And he's accusing him of something. And you know, he said, you know, and anyway, he's trying to shift the focus of himself already in the marriage relationship. Isn't that terrible? But Adam wasn't done. He's still being a doofus here. Because with his next few words, he tries to turn the blame on God too. He says, the woman, by the way, that you put here with me, see how slick that was? She gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Poor, helpless, defensive Adam. It's like he was saying, here I was enjoying the beauty and blessing of the garden, and along comes this female. That, by the way, God, you brought her into my life. I just mentioned that. Um, if it hadn't been for her, I, I would never, I would never have eaten. I've never been tempted. Not our finest hour, guys. So, I mean, is he right? I mean, is God responsible for temptation? Well, James 1.13 points out that God's not even indirectly 
involved in causing us to sin. When we sin, it's our own choice. You can't say the devil made me do it necessarily because you have the, the will to do whatever you, you want to do. Because God's character is holy, because God's character is pure, he's totally separated from sin. He can't even be involved in the concept. Now, he may allow temptation to come into our lives, but we are solely responsible for yielding to it. Principle number three, whatever temptation that is going on in your life, by the way, is always an individual matter. Listen to verse 14. Each one, he didn't say everybody, he just said each one of you is tempted when by your own evil desire you're dragged away and enticed. It's like, like metal pieces to a magnet. The selfishness of our souls, the sinfulness of us, is drawn to temptation. But nothing outside of ourselves, there's no set of circumstances, there's no allurement, is strong enough in itself to force you to sin. Sin occurs when you cooperate and agree to the temptation and you get involved in it. Now, principle number four, temptation that leads to sin always follows the same process. Temptation that leads to sin always follows the same process. And the previous Bible passages lay out a four-step process. I'm going to give them to you. You can write this down. And you, te- you test this. You check and see in your own experience if this is not the case. Step number one. First, Satan's got to drop the bait. He brings the bait, drops it right there in front. We can be hooked by a temptation the same way a fish is hooked by a worm works much better. So if you decide to go fishing and bait your hook with light bulbs, chances are it's going to be a slow and a disappointing day for you. And everybody who sees you reeling in your, your light bulbs will wonder, you know, if you're from Kentucky or not. Yeah. No, God promises to provide for our needs the fulfillment of physical and spiritual need, but Satan also knows about our hungers as well. And although he cannot force us to take of the fruit and eat it, he's a skilled angler at knowing when and where and how to drop that bait where it will lure us away from God. Step number two. Our problem is, is that our inner desire is attracted to the bait. The Greek word for entice, by the way, is a fishing term. We all know that if you use the light bulbs on your hook, it's not going to help you. But in order to pull the fish from its comfortable hiding place, you've got to find bait that it's interested in, one that it can't resist. And once that bait is dropped and that fish sees it, then the fish is as good as caught. However, the more you and I seek God's kingdom and his righteousness as believers, then the more we draw from him, our strength comes from above, not from in here. The less we're interested in the tempting bait that's continually around us. By the way, our culture is custom designed to throw that bait at you all the time. And so you've got to be super alert to resist these things. The less you be interested in the tempting bait, if you're more interested in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the point is the Lord will not remove necessarily all temptation. It is that the closer you and I draw to him 
the less temptation will appeal to us. I mean, really. If you can hang out with the best, why would you settle for the less? If you get your self-identity from Jesus, then why are we trying to get it from everybody else? If he has all the answers and all the, 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 the treasures of the world at his disposal, spiritually speaking, then why would we look anywhere else for satisfaction? The more we seek God's kingdom and righteousness, the more we will draw from our strength and delight. Step three, sin comes about, though. It occurs when you yield. That means when you, you surrender to it, you give in to temptation. And when we allow temptation to connect with the sinful desires that we already come equipped with, it's a lethal combination, and it gives birth to sin. In fact, step four is sin always results in tragic consequences. I mean, even though sin sometimes brings temporary moments of pleasure, I suppose, it always spawns consequences. Satan tries to blur our vision to these consequences by getting us so intoxicated with the wine of pleasure or the wine of gain, with the pleasure that Satan gives is designed to hurt. It's a high, highly costly thing. Hurts others. Hurts the Lord. Now, now that's the, the important stuff. So you got the four steps. But now I want to give you some principles you can practice and I can practice every single day. It's five of them. And these are useful weapons, by the way, in the day-to-day struggle to resist temptation. Are right, you ready? All right. I know you, some of you are memorizing this. Others are writing it down. So go for it. Principle number one. I must counteract temptation. I can't just tolerate it. I must counteract it, not just tolerate it. Jesus warns that you and I are to be actively engaged in resisting sin, not passively engaged in just feeling sorry for ourselves when we give in. If, for example, there are certain kinds of music or certain kinds of, of magazines or certain kind of visual images that brings, you know, things that are alluring thoughts and sensual things, and you're allowing those to have access to your mind, bringing them willingly into your life. See, you're not counteracting a temptation or sin. You're tolerating it. You're putting up with it. I love this personal autobiography that the guy wrote. It's five short chapters. I'll give you the, 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 the listen to this. Chapter one, he describes this situation. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out of this hole. Chapter number two. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see the deep hole. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it's there. I still fall in. Now it's a habit. I can't help myself. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I now walk down a different street. (laughs) That's your autobiography right there. Five short chapters. I mean, how often do we pray for deliverance from some temptation only to turn right around and open the door and embrace the very same temptation? 
over and over again and again. Someone has said to pray against temptation and turn around and then embrace it and indulge in it is to stick your fingers in the fire and pray that they won't be burned. That's how smart that is. So that's principle number one. You've got to counteract this thing. You can't just tolerate it. Number two, I must use the right method of resistance. Now here's what I mean by that. The method of your resistance must match the temptation that you're dealing with. And there's a reason for this. The reason is that not all temptations can be handled the same way. For example, every single time sensual sin of any kind is mentioned in the New Testament. You and I are told to run like crazy, to flee. We're told to get away. In fact, that's exactly what happened to Joseph. Remember Joseph? His master's wife was trying to seduce him, and he ran out of the door. But for the one who wrestles with the temptation uh, to get rich, it's different. The Bible teaches that you can subdue this that you can work on this in your life by simply becoming a more generous person. The more generous you are, the less tempted you're going to be to worry about your personal riches. You're thinking more of others than yourself. Two different approaches. So you've got to use whatever right method it is for the particular temptation you're dealing with. Number three principle. I must remind myself that the, the final end game, the final pain, will erase whatever temporary pleasure was involved. You and I can all, we can all relate to the consequences of our actions and suffering we had to go through. Whether it's eating a whole bowl of sugary candy or doing something much, much more serious. What we're asking Christians to do, all of us, is to cultivate in ourselves the same faith that guarded Moses. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 11. 24. Here's what it says. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose instead to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. The final pain is always going to erase any temporary pleasure. And then principle number four. And this one is the one I want you to think about more deeply than all these others because this is the key to freedom in Christ Jesus. I must control my thought life through scripture memorization. Scripture has power. Listed among the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. We we just had this series not long ago. The term self-control is mentioned. And in the Greek, the definition here of that phrase, self-control, is mastering one's drive and impulses of the will. I mean, one way to gain self-control, one way to do that then, is you take the scriptures and the power that's within those words, with the Spirit will apply that to your life. And you, as the scripture says, your word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against God. So one way you can gauge your capacity to resist temptation is what is your willingness to memorize God's word. You've got something that's really giving you grief. What does the Bible say about it? You find those passages and you write them down and you commit them to memory, whatever the case might be. 
Now, granted, I've looked and looked, and I've never found anything against chocolate chip cookies in the Bible. In fact, I received some last week, and I confessed this in the first service. Preachers should confess their sin, I think, publicly. I hid these cookies from my wife. <laughs> now, beside the point that she really didn't like chocolate chip cookies, but my thought was if I leave them laying out, Satan could tempt her, and that would not be good, Right? So I put them away, and she wasn't tempted. And there's still two left in the package. And I'm not telling you where it is either. No, you know what I'm talking about here. You know, the Bible gives us power, you know, to master our lives. Jesus is the one in charge. But we're these little apprentices trying to learn how to be godly, how to learn to be more like Jesus. And he's going to help us do that. Psalm 119.9 says, and verse 11 adds as well, How can a young man keep his way pure? He does it by living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So scripture memorization not only helps you focus on the right things, but it can also come to your aid when you're trying to resist a particularly persuasive attack by Satan. And he never rests. You know, he never, ever, ever rests. When Satan tried, by the way, when he tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, remember that? Every single time, what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't cross his arms and look at Satan. He says, Satan, you are toast. You know, you're, 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 you're dead. You're, 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 you know, you're just terrible. No, Jesus didn't even give him that much attention. He just simply said, it is written. And then he quoted scripture. And Satan has no answer for the power of the, whole, of the word of God. Now, the key to this is principle number five. You've got to do this on a daily basis. Satan never stops. Temptation often comes sneaking back. And, and over time, you'll get not thinking, you think you've mastered this. You think you're doing better, and here it comes again. Mark Anthony's most widely known and most costly temptation came floating down the uh, river on a barge. Her name was Cleopatra. Remember the story? This was back when Jerry Cravens was just a young man when this happened. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I missed you, Jerry. I hadn't, hadn't talked to you about you in the sermon before for a while. But here, was, uh, here he was, Cleopatra sails up the river, and they, they get together, and, and his heart was unguarded. And it was this adulterous relationship that was his undoing. Cost him his wife. Cost him his place as a world leader. He eventually fell on his own sword, manipulated by complete Cleopatra. He committed suicide out of devotion to what was once just a temptation, something that could and should have been avoided. But he didn't have the resources that I've shared with you today from God's word. What temptations drifting into your life right now? Have you considered the cost of giving into it? More important, have you just determined that Jesus really is the Lord of your life? Or are you just paying lip service to the concept? There's no greater insurance against temptation than to have the very Spirit of Christ dwelling and living within you. Now, as we go through these trials over the summer, 
from time to time, we're going to see how these, this, this message on temptation is so related to some of the other things that we're going to talk about because it, it's like it gives birth to those things because we've got several more trials that we need to talk about. So I want you to really give some attention to going through Scripture. Look in your concordance. There's tools that are available to you. The Internet's full of ways that you can put a subject in and you can see every Bible verse that's attached to that subject. And you do a little research. Satan knows you well, maybe sometimes better than we know ourselves. And so I want to encourage you, take this seriously. Nobody's immune to this. Nobody's safe. Nobody can stand up and say, well, I'm, I could never be tempted. You know, right there, they're lying right, right through their teeth. They were tempted to lie right there in front of you. It doesn't work that way. The Bible gives you the tools you need to live a successful Christian life. You can't pull it off by yourself. We have to have the Lord's help, and he's more than willing. Ask, and you shall receive. If you're mired in something in your life right now that you know God is not happy with, then you have a tool here to go find that there is a scriptural ammunition you need to make Satan take a height. Now, you won't stay away forever, but victory over him and his designs for you is within grasp because of the one who made you and knows everything about you and loves you and me in spite of our failings. Gosh, what a, what a gift. Let's not mar the gift by taking his grace for granted. Let us make sure that we honor our Heavenly Father by just simply doing what he asks us to do. Amen? Let me pray with you. Father, thank you so much. What a, what a wonderful time it is for us to come together and worship, especially on Father's Day. And I ask a special blessing again on these men. We bear the lion's share sometimes of a lot of the, the challenges of, of raising a family and providing for them and, and setting good examples. And Lord, I know, I know, we men have a big target on our back. And so Lord, I'm just praying for every guy here that he will recognize the special task that has been given to us as Christian men to minister to our family, to lead them in the way they should go, to make the sacrifices necessary, hard steps sometimes, to make sure that Satan has no access to our children, that Satan is, is our children understand what Satan's weapons are about. And Lord, help us to not just take this lightly, because we're looking around at a world right now, Father, where are, are, we're losing our children. We're losing our young people. They're adrift in the sea of all this, this corruption and all this, just so much anti-God, so much everything against you, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that you would intervene and that the, the simple prayer of faith that some of these folks might make, especially the dads, that they might say today, Lord, I need your help. I, I'm not pulling it off very well. And Lord, I know you promised that you will not fail to answer that kind of heartfelt prayer. And Lord, we love you. We thank you. What you've done through Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us to have victory in Jesus. That's what it says. Victory in Christ. In his name I pray these things, Lord. Amen. David. Let's all stand together.